Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to episode 188 of Sexology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about how you can talk to your kid about sex. I do tons of talks in different schools for parents, and this is a very hot topic because many of us can agree that we didn't receive an accurate sex education or we got a negative sex education. And although many parents want to change the kind of that dynamic, they don't know what to do. And there are tons of emotions and reaction comes up when it's time for them to talk to their kids about sex. Few months ago, I developed this checklist for parents that talks about kind of the important things that it's important to talk to your kids about when it comes to sex. It's divided based on various age group. So you can download the checklist and the show notes. But I'm very excited to have Dr. Lene St. John on our show. This is her main area of expertise. We had her a couple years ago on the show and she talked to us about how we can talk to teenagers around sex. She will teach us how we can identify our own hurdles when it comes to discussing sex. She also talks about what can you do to problem solve some of those challenging situations that as a parent we get confronted with? For example, finding out that your kids are playing with, with things that are not quote-unquote gender confirming because there are lots of uh, surprises and some can be positive and some can be challenging when it comes around sex and sexuality. And it's important to think about these situations and reflect on them ahead of time. Our guest today is Dr. Lene St. John, known as the Mama Sutra, is a board-certified sexologist certified sex coach and sexuality educator. She is author of Read Me, a parental primer for the talk. Lene lives in San Francisco Bay Area with her significant other and two daughters. Follow her on her social media at the Mama Sutra and her website is mamasutra.net. Also, make sure you are listening all the way till the end. She has a gift for us, and I don't want you to miss on that gift. All right, before we dive into our conversation today, I wanted to thank our sponsor, BetterHelp. Many of our listeners are psychologists, MFDs, social workers, and BetterHelp is the easiest way to apply your clinical expertise online. Thousands of people every day go to betterhelp.com to get connected with a licensed therapist. So if you are tired of doing the billing and negotiating with insurance companies and looking for referrals, BetterHelp can be a 
perfect solution for you. You can focus 100% of your time on counseling and you don't need to worry about the rest. Visit betterhelp.com sexology and complete the application to get started. Again, that's betterhelp.com sexology. You can find the URL in the show notes. Here's my conversation with Dr. Lene Sanjo. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Lene St. John on our show today. Dr. St. John, welcome to our show. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It's well, nice to be I, back. Yes, yes. We had this conversation similar to this a yeah. few years ago and my listeners, they love it. I know one of the things you shared with us last time was that if you're not ready to talk about sex, probably you shouldn't have sex. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's an edgy, important. that's an edgy thought, right? And so important, like, you know, she's you're sharing your body and soul with someone, but if you cannot talk about it, that's, that's so crazy. But that's where many people are. And I know certainly in my past where I was before, because it's tough to talk about sex and what yeah. you want and what's okay and what's not okay. So tell us, how can people identify their hurdles when it comes to talk about sex? Yeah, you know, the hurdles that we have are hurdles, certainly in my experience, the hurdles have been based on the messages I got growing up around sexuality. I didn't have people who would talk openly with me. Um, a lot of the questions I had and the the information I was seeking, you know, I, I grew up before the internet, so it was like reference books and things like that. And not having that information, to some extent, made me a little insecure. I didn't have a lot of confidence. And I got permission to share this sort of anecdote story with my, with my oldest daughter. This was a couple of years ago, too, when we were talking about, I don't even know how we got on the topic, but she said, you know, I think when I'm ready to have sex, I want to find somebody that I'm really comfortable with. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. What, tell me more about that. What do you mean? And she said, well, I get the sense that sex is awkward and I want to find somebody that I can be, be comfortable being awkward with. And I was, you know, that, that realization was never a considerate. You know, I never thought of that as a kid growing up. But certainly, if you have somebody who gives you information, you can start to process that on your own and start to come up with some, you know, decent conclusions. I never fed that to her. Like, that was totally on her. And I deeply respect that, that, that conclusion. I mean, to think that if I would have been that age, you know, or even 20 years old to think of that kind of an answer... I mean, that's, that's groundbreaking, I think, around, you know, the justification for talking to your kids about sex. And so these that. hurdles, you know, these hurdles are, they're just, they're hurdles because they are literal blocks that we've experienced when we grew up. And so I guess noticing how you feel when topics around sexuality pop up, you know, if you're, I mean, I've talked to adult women who even as adults, if they're in the same room as their parents when they watch something on TV or in a movie that has like somebody making out or having sex or whatever, like there's an instinct to want to, right? Like that's a hurdle. I mean, that messaging is very clear. If you're covering somebody as covering, want to cover somebody's eyes, you're trying to shield them from something. And that, that something is sexuality. And if we look at the media, for example, there's tons of violence. Nobody's covering eyes for violence, but we cover eyes for 
sexuality. Like that's a, you know, if we, we, we tell our kids that sex is something that happens between people who love each other, but yet we deny that we're having sex when we love our partner, you know, supposedly love our partners. So there's all kinds of weird hurdles that we, <laughs> so, and identifying them, I guess it's just a, a matter of getting, getting conscious around all of it. Like just noticing is the first battle, right? So yeah, the noticing is is how to how to hit that first hurdle. <laughs> well, I think that's such an important point that you mentioned that from noticing your own reaction because yeah. if you don't have you didn't receive the information and yeah. as, when you turn into an adult, magically you don't have the, all the answers. Maybe you had sex, <laughs> but you don't know how to talk about things. You don't yeah. know what help kind of like your kid understand the process. Uh, so I love that you brought up this concept of noting and noticing what shows up for you. And at times, then people, I feel when they're noticing it, they get stuck in this shame spiral that, yeah. oh, God, having this reaction, I don't know anything. And that's not productive. So yeah. what can we do for ourselves to be open? Okay, we're noticing it, but we're not getting stuck on those stories. Yeah, I guess you know, it goes back to having the experience or the, you know, the practicing, exercising the muscle, right? And, you know, this is something that I would do with my college students when I was teaching human sexuality. You know, even just saying the words and getting comfortable saying the words, you know, because at the beginning of the course, Anytime you would say penis or vagina out loud or vulva or whatever, you know, you would kind of get like students kind of looking around the class to see if anybody else was laughing or wanting to laugh. And then it's, it's like a, it's, it's almost like maturing. It's, <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying this right. It's a level of maturity that you, you excel or that you grow past this adolescent reaction to a topic or, or words that really don't have or don't need to have the charge around them that they do. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I talk about in the book when your baby is like, you can start talking to your kids about sexuality when they're infants, when you're changing diapers, when you're, you know, wiping the urine from the labia, right? Like you can name these things and just they're no different than a nose or a, you know, a chin or a knee, right? They're just body parts. And to have the charge that they have is purely coming from someone else that you've picked up on as a child. Mm-hmm. And then it's just driven you <laughs> your whole life sometimes. So yeah, that, that noticing, going back to the noticing, it's it's really important and, and you don't have to beat yourself up for it. Mm-hmm. You know, just sort of accepting like, okay, yeah, I get it. That's how I was raised. I was raised in a way that, you know, saying penis, you know, we couldn't say it. We had to say wee-wee or, you know, but that's, that's how things were. And I don't want that for my kids. So I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make a change. So are there any other hurdles that comes to your mind? Hurdles, I mean, certainly talking to your partner about sex, right? Like when it comes to being able to talk about what you want, mm-hmm. that's hard stuff. And again, it's it's exercising this muscle memory. When you are a teenager, if you have a parent, I mean, obviously you're not having sex with your parent, God forbid, but you're having conversations about relationships, about dating, about, you know, the steps that come before sex. If you can have these conversations with, you know, a parent or an aunt or an uncle or somebody you trust, 
and who has your best interests at heart, then you get experience talking, which eventually, like I said, muscle memory, it's going to be something that you're going to need to be able to talk to a future sexual partner. I'm so glad you talked about even talking with babies and like a yeah. toddlers about kind of naming the different parts of your body correctly. Yeah. As, at times people ask me, when is a good time to start having a sex conversation with my kid? And the kid's yeah. already 13 and 14. I guess never is late, but yeah. I think like usually the earlier, even as young as you mentioned, like a toddlers and kind of younger, yeah. naming the body parts are such a good, good step. And even at times, I think as adult, then people are, you're right, that like not being comfortable about language around their genital and sexuality makes it hard for them to communicate with their partner about what they want. Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that you mentioned in the book that I I love and and I think that's so important that when you are inviting parents to talk to kids about sex and sexuality, you have all this kind of like things related to pleasure and positivity. It's not a a traditional kind of like negative talk of like make sure you're not getting uh, pregnant or SDI or kind of sometimes parents talk about consent. But that's where the conversation ends. I I like that you invite parents to include fuller conversation and more positive conversation around this. So I know we talked about the five building blocks to healthy sexuality in your book. If you don't mind, please share some of the information around that. Yeah. So I called them the five building blocks to a healthy sexuality. Very quickly there, communication, consent, respect, pleasure, and fantasy. And the idea behind these five is to help or to to give parents a framework that they can use that takes out this, you know, needing to talk about what parts go where, who does what, you know, what does what, what does it do? It's about creating these foundations that they will need for their whole lives. You can begin talking about consent, communication, respect, pleasure, and fantasy, even when they're they're toddlers because they're not they're not about sex per se. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things I think we fail at in America and probably, you know, the colonialized world <laughs> is this idea that sex is intercourse, mm-hmm. right? It seems to be another one of the things that sort of trips up parents when they talk about, you know, teaching kids about sex in school. They're thinking, most often they're thinking it's going to be about positions, you know, (laughs) but there's so many different layers to human sexuality. There's so many different layers to what we should be talking to our kids about. And, you know, if you are opposing that or if you're, if you're, there's a famous Wilhelm Reich quote and I'm going to have to look it up as we're talking here. But it's like opposed petty bourgeois morality, which it doesn't want to approach, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, it doesn't want to approach child and adolescent sexuality, but really not doing those things, not talking about boundaries and autonomy and anatomy and consent and everything ends up being for the benefit of the ruling class. And I mean, if you take that even one step further, it sort of explains the whole Jeffrey Epstein and, you know, what he was able to do with, you know, having all these young women give him massages. I mean, they, they, by not giving them information about their bodies, about, you know, who they are, what they should want, what, you know, I mean, step aside the, or put aside the whole capitalism conversation, (laughs) it's, you know, they made him susceptible to somebody who was very wealthy, 
And that's a little sidebar. <laughs> I could go off on that topic. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's, we make kids vulnerable when we don't have conversations with them in a, in a real way. And so, yeah, this, this idea that we shouldn't talk to kids about sex is, is really putting them at risk. Um, it really does. You, you should be able to talk about the parts. You should be able to give your kids information about their bodies or let them get information about their bodies. The thing that is sort of radical before we started the conversation, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm going to say this thing. One of the things that I've talked to my kids about, and I don't think there's anything wrong with talking to kids about this, is the idea of a genital self-exam. So, your health is important, as is your sexual health. And when you teach someone how to do a genital self-exam, their awareness of their body, their, their desire to protect themselves and keep themselves safe, it's like ownership over a part of your body that is, it's yours. You shouldn't be relying on anyone else to tell you the health or the appearance or, you know, how things are. You should own your body. And, and usually when you have pride of ownership, you're not going to let other people, <laughs> other you know, others touch you or take advantage of you or hurt you because you own you, right? It's, it's your body. So, I mean, it might be something that 10 and up, and I am not saying that this is something that you should do for your kid. Like this is something where, and I want to make that really clear because I'm sure, you know, pedophiles will think that that's, oh, this is permission that I should go do this for somebody else. No, the idea is give your kid permission to, you know, look at a book look at their, themselves, be able to name the parts, be able to know the parts so that if anything is wrong, if, there's, if, if, if they're touched mm-hmm. in an inappropriate way, they can say specifically what it was, where it was, and who did it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would love for people to be able to be so empowered to be, I mean, I would also love the, the police and <laughs> the officials who should protect us, the judicial system to be able to be on board with this too. But how empowered it would be to know your body, to be able to speak up about your body, to be able to get the care you need when you need it in the appropriate time. So yeah, I'm a little so soapbox. I that. No, I, I love that. <laughs> and I'm with you about the self-exploration from examining of your genital, because I think at times, even with adult women that come for sex therapy, to my point yes. is, they never done that. They never looked at their vulva. They don't know how it looks like. It seems like they kind of like, they don't take ownership of yeah. what's there. So if you don't know what's going on in your genital and <laughs> your vulva, how can you give instructions to someone else? Exactly. And the thing is, again, it is not a sexual act to do a genital self-exam. It is not a sexual act. It is a health act. You are examining your body, maybe in a place it's difficult to see, but, you know, you examine other parts, you know, your face, you, you, if you have a bump or a lump somewhere, you want to be able to go in as soon as possible to get it checked out. You don't want to wait. And there's, you know, there are stories of people finding a lump and then, you know, getting scared and not really sure. And they, so they don't go to the doctor when they should go to the doctor and, you know, get it taken care of or at least diagnosed to say, oh, it's nothing or it is something. Let's take care of all of that. And it's, it's so crucial. And I do think that 
you know, giving kids permission, acknowledging that they should be taking care of their bodies at an age appropriate time so that they can take care of themselves. I mean, the thing I noticed is, you know, I go to the OBGYN, you know, maybe every year, every two years, if I'm lucky, if I think about it, am I relying on the doctor to tell me if something has changed? Right? Like, how many hundreds, if not thousands of vulvas do they see in between my visits? So it seems kind of ridiculous for me to rely on my doctor to tell me I'm okay. <laughs> right, right. So, so yeah, I mean, like, I think it's, it's important. To your point, mm-hmm. there are many adult women who don't do this task. Mm-hmm. And my realization of this was when I would give this as an optional assignment for my students in my, in my course, some of them would come back and say, wow, you know, I just, I didn't realize how powerful that would be, how important that would be. You know, I relied on other people to tell me what I looked like. All of these things that it's just more and more, it, it hit me like, this is really an important thing to do. Right, right. And I'm so glad you gave people that assignment. And I think along the same line around that is like people lack of awareness about the diversity of vulva, diversity yeah. of body, because yeah. most people, what they see is what they see in poor. And it's Absolutely. not kind of representative of what people's vulva look like, what people's genital look like, penises look like. So they get confused and they get stuck in this shame place of mine doesn't look like this. They're comparing. wrong with me. Yeah, comparing and all the stories that shows up. I know that there are books right now that shows like photography of the different people's different body yeah. and people can even look online and, and find these yeah. resources. But I love that you're saying, you know, in your book, you talked about nakedness and people going to spas and see different bodies because yeah. I feel like we tell these stories about what things should be yeah. uh, and then we our bodies are not fitting that kind of quote unquote should, then that we're judging ourselves for it. Yeah. And when you think of what you do see in terms of bodies, I mean, even movie stars have body doubles, right? Like, because they want to show you a body that's more perfect than, and it's just, it's ridiculous, right? So I would take my kids, I haven't gone in a while, but I have taken my kids to a clothing only or clothing optional spa in San Francisco. And I wrote about it in the book. And, and the realization, one, for me, when I went by myself the first time, was this enormous weight lifted off of me where I got to see, it was like self-acceptance sort of soaked into my body because I was able to, I mean, I was doing the comparing thing when I could finally make eye contact and like look at people. <laughs> but I was, this this thing of comparison was less, I guess it was less comparison. It was more just observation and a realization that bodies were looking totally different than mine. And in their own way, they were all beautiful. Like, tattooed, athletic, not so athletic. Like it was, it was beautiful. And I wanted my kids to have that same experience of being able to learn about their bodies, accept their bodies, be happy with what they have. And, you know, they're, they're teenagers now, 18 and 16. And, and they went, you know, when they were, I think 10 or 12, I can't remember how old they were, maybe 10, but from a, from an early age, they had that experience, had that exposure And I see them now moving about the world in their bodies 
with a level of confidence I I didn't have until I was in my 40s, you know, go having finally gone to this clothing optional spa and learning about how to accept my own body. That's groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they they now move about the world with this ease and this sense of just it exudes confidence that I know I didn't have. I didn't have for years, year, decades. So <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a huge, you know, jump ahead from where I was in all this for work. sure. And it sounds like kudos to you for changing the cycle. Because I know that what I hear from parents, that that's what I, my parent taught me. This is what I know. So yeah. it's, it's mind-blowing for me that, like, you turn this narrative. What motivated you to do that? I mean, I, the narrative was the nasty messages I would give myself. Mm-hmm. And I still do it. I mean, I, I, it's, it's so hard for me to unlearn, but I know that I was able to not put that on my kids. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, you know, sometimes if they hear me say things to myself, because sometimes they'll, you know, they'll peep out or <laughs> I'll, I'll say something. And uh, especially because now I'm, I'm older and I've got, you know, sort of like this pre-perimenopausal stuff going on. <laughs> And I, you know, and also coronavirus, you know, I have, now I'm exercising more, but I wasn't for a while. And so things were shifting and I wasn't as accepting of my own body. And, and they were like, they would call me out on it when I would say something. And so what it seemed to me was like, they were trying to help me reprogram myself, which is, I mean, for kids to be able to help their parents pass the, you know, it's not their job, but you know, it's, it's been this wonderful journey to see how they can then kind of help me when I'm not so nice to myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's wonderful that they have a strong enough narrative that they can, can even at times right now that help support you to get reminded of those kind yeah. of more positive narratives <laughs> that you have at times and most of the times. So I, what I really like that you even talk about fantasy in the book, mm, yeah. How do you incorporate that in the conversation with kids? Well, so again, when we think fantasy, we think sex as adults, right? And so it's not that when kids are little, when kids are, when kids are little, when you watch a little kid play, they are so absorbed, right? They're just focused on whatever it is, they're playing house or, you know, playing with cars, they're just, they're, they're in it. And I guess it's more of a lesson for us as adults to be able to learn from our kids because so many adults start to get in their head about what they're doing when they're having sex with their partner or when they're, right? I, yeah, I was just talking to a client where this person was saying, I just, I just find myself in my head all the time and I'm, you know, thinking about what somebody said before and like, am I doing this right? And kids aren't thinking about that kind of thing when they're little, you know, this is, they're just in it. And so that's a good thing. But the idea that fantasy is something that we, that we have to act out, right? You don't always have to act out fantasies. You can just, you know, have this, this dream or this desire. Yeah. And those things are, those things are good things. You know, pleasure is another block that parents have a difficult time with. And again, it's not about sex. It's not about sexual pleasure. It's about something as simple as a hug, right? I think we might've talked about this in the previous podcast, if you really need a hug and somebody comes up to you and gives you one and like, you just sort of melt, it can bring tears, right? And the same thing, if you're already crying and somebody comes over and gives you a hug, it can help you soothe those tears. And so those things are pleasure. It's also 
self-care, right? What are the things that give you pleasure? What are the things that you enjoy? Do you like cooking? Do you like finding those things that give you pleasure and and, and enjoying them your whole life? I mean, th- those are things that you could enjoy your whole life if you're a person who draws, if you're a person who dances, right? Knowing what these things are when you're young, because those are things that can be reassuring to go back to when you're an adult. And that will help, especially I think with, with my female client, what I see is like to legalize pleasure. I think within yeah. the story that I hear from my clients is that if unless it's in service of someone else, yeah. the pleasure is not, is, doesn't, is not allowed or I'm yeah. not that kind of a woman. People are interested to, for example, invite sexual pleasure in their lives, but it's like, what would that say about me? So with teaching yeah. them in young age that pleasure is, is part of a health healthy sexuality and part of life, you're yeah. helping them to prioritize them at, uh, themselves at times. So I'm so glad that you're incorporating that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Pleasure is incredibly important. And it's sad that right now education, if you do get good education in school, if your state is one that mandates accurate and medically accurate education, which is, is just amazing to me that there are states that don't require medically accurate sex ed. I mean, to be able to talk about pleasure, I mean, that's something they don't do. It's usually, what is it, um, plumbing and prevention kinds of stuff. And so being able to talk about pleasure and, and permission or consent is amazing. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. And speaking of kind of like prevention and plumbing and those kind of things, mm-hmm. I know some parents, they prefer talking about STIs with their kids themselves. But mm-hmm. if you are a sex positive person, you want to make sure that you're not using scare strategies. So they yeah. know what they know that their parents like show them like if even if they were kind of lucky to have the conversation, the scary situation of what would happen if you get SDI. And, yeah. and we know how these things are, how common it is. It doesn't yeah. make you a slut or like horrible person if you yeah. ever got an SDI. It just happens to most people. So yeah. how can we empower our kids with giving them those information, but not leading with kind of scare, scare strategies. Yeah, so uh, it amazes me when we, when I see sex ed curriculum that talk about STIs and show all the nasty pictures, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> That's what you're getting at, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you see the pictures of the shankers and the, you know, all the really disgusting stuff. And I picked, if people can picture these things in their mind's eye, they probably saw this stuff in their, in their sex ed. But the conversation, again, about STIs is about sexual health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at one point when my kids were really little, there was lice going around. As I scratch my head <laughs> talking about this, there, were, there was a lice outbreak in elementary school. And it surprised me. Well, I guess it didn't surprise me, but I noticed how similar the attitudes around lice <laughs> were to the attitudes around STIs, right? Like all of a sudden the kid was like ostracized if they were the one that had lice. And it's like kids get lice. They just <laughs> doesn't mean that they're necessarily dirty kids, right? But that is for sure the messaging that <laughs> that still seems to be out there. And it's the same thing with STIs. And so like all of a sudden you're dirty. The conversations in sex positive households, I guess, is less about the fear, less about the nasty pictures and more about, okay, well, there are basically three big buckets of types of STIs. 
There are the ones that are bacterial, which can be treated with antibiotics. There are the ones that are um, not viral, the other one, parasitic. <laughs> That's the one I can think of, you know, and, and those can be treated with different shampoos or so, you know, things like that. And the viral ones are the ones that are going to stick with you, but they can be treated, right? They can't be cured, but they can be treated. And so just sort of laying things out very factually so that, you know, so that they understand what these things are, so that if something does happen, again, this genital self-exam is a great way for kids to be, or teens, young adults, adults, to be able to notice if something changes so they can go to the doctor and get it checked out and get it treated or cured, right? Right. So, you know, these, these conversations are just, you know, they're just facts. They're just talking about facts so that people have information so they can go get things taken care of. And when we keep things in this fear mode, trying to scare someone, trying to make them feel like they're an awful person if they get one, you know, that's, who does that benefit? It doesn't benefit anybody because people who are scared are not going to go to the doctor. They're probably going to continue to have sex with other people. They may not use protection. So what's going to happen? Those STIs are going to spread. They're going to spread unchecked and nobody's going to talk about it. And that's not what I would ever hope for, for my kids. <laughs> and you're right that the knowledge is power, right? Yeah. If you're knowing that there's these three pockets of ways that like you might experience kind of like the conditions that you get types of SDI, then you know that there are types that are can address it and get cured. There are things that you need to manage. So it's not the scary things and it's yeah. not becomes about who you are. It's yeah. about this condition that you, you experience like the same way as you said, like if you got a lice or even if you get clue, flu or nuts, all sorts of things that you yeah. kind of like approaching it for more about kind of like, as you said, like fact-based yeah. versus kind of emotional base of uh, kind of fear and shame. I know that we are toward the end of our time, but I want to talk about the, when kids are exhibiting things that are not gender conforming. So I get a lot of those calls that parents are panicking, saying that, oh God, my kid is, my, my son is coloring his uh, nail. Is, is he gay? Or people saying that he's into, I don't know, organizing things and putting up makeup. And people, are, even with women, like kind of having this scare of why my teen is wearing this clothing so I and at parents at times they're kind of scared to have conversation about sexual orientation gender identity how mm -hmm. what's your invitation for parents when it comes to approaching this topic yeah you know when I when I've had a similar question in the past parents are curious often to find out if it means their kid is gay mm -hmm. and I think the the messaging that we older adults have around the experiences of like especially if you if you aren't someone other than heterosexual you may have seen and witnessed or even been the perpetrator of awful attitudes or or statements or phrases or or even violence against somebody who is other and so parents are probably worried that their kids are going to be the recipients of these things and the kids nowadays are less tied to these very rigid gender norms. Um, you mentioned the nail polish. That's a really popular one. It's just a form of expression. It's just a way of ornamentating or, or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Like decorating, right? I mean, it's not the word I'm looking for, but it's, it's, not, it's not a uniform, but it's, it really is just the way we want to present ourselves. 
So I guess when I'm talking to parents about this, the question I put back to them is, do you want your kids to be happy? Do you want your kids to feel loved? Do you need to accept them if they, will you only accept them if they follow the scripts that you were given? Do you want something better for your kids? Do you want them to feel loved, appreciated, accepted? Can they get that from you if they're not going to get it in the outside world? And so, yeah, going back to, you know, do you do you want to show your kids love? Do you want to show them that you accept them? Or do you want to give them this message that they have to look a certain way that you want them to look? And is that really what you want for your kids? What kind of a relationship you want to have with your kids? Yeah. You mentioned that is it based on trust and love or yeah. is it like you want to be another punitive adult? And you're right that like, especially this age and day and age, people, gender, we don't have that gender norms that we used to have when at least I was mm-hmm. younger. And people exhibit all sorts of gender fluid things and can be part of yeah. the expression or even if it's not like it's part of someone's having kind of different identify later on as transgender or someone that's even like kind of gay later on or lesbian we are who we are and like most parents they don't want to cut contact with their kids because if they're Mm -hmm. different so these conversations can find seeds for kind of like okay no matter what's going on I'm, I'm here for you and I have your back well there's one other thing I want to add to that for parents who want to google something There are various versions of this out there, but the one I can think of at the top of my head is the genderbred person version 1.0. It's up to 4.0 now, but this only articulates that our concept of gender, you know, I'm 50 years old. What I learned about gender was very different than what the current understandings of gender are. And this is 2020. I would say even in the last 10 years, it has the understanding of gender has just exploded, right? We have five basic ideas around gender now. It's not just being able to say male or female on a job application. There's also gender non-binary. There's all kinds of things. There's, you know, it's not just the, the, the parts that you have that's considered biological sex. We talked a little bit about gender expression, how people present themselves. That's, you know, the, the nail polish thing. Gender identity is how someone thinks about themselves. And then there's also, I guess this one is like a part A and a part B. You have sexual orientation and romantic orientation. So when you consider gender, it is, it's now, it is way more complex than just male or female, what the stuff that I learned when I was growing up, right? So this idea of toxic masculinity to me is someone who wants to hold so rigidly to that binary, mm-hmm. just so rigidly that men are men, women are women, and everyone else needs to fit in either one of those boxes. It, it doesn't help your kids. It does not help anyone. It doesn't help you. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's probably stuff in your life that's, that's popping up that's, you know, making things difficult for you by holding that rigid idea or ideal. So, well, yeah, you uh, can Google genderbred person 1.0 and get sort of like a beginner, uh, the beginner understanding of like, oh, so that's what that is. That's what that looks like. And then you can advance resource. to the 4.0. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's like gender unicorn. I think there's gender elephant. Like there's all sorts of different versions of this example out there that has all these different aspects and, and characteristics of what gender is nowadays. And it goes back to educating ourselves before yeah. kind of like uh, passing on the information to our kids. So I, I encourage people to look at it. I, I've seen the gender, right? I haven't seen the gender unicorn and I'm obsessed with unicorn and adult <laughs> There you woman. go. That's a good one then. You can try that I one. to go check it out. I can talk about this topic with you for hours because I know <laughs> that you are full of great information and stories. And it, and it comes from this place of like wanting to support the community. And it seems like you did a great job with your kids. That's why I recommend people to look into the book. I Yay. think it's great, <laughs> full of practical strategies and conversation and examples that they can draw on when they don't want to talk about the sex with their kids. Yeah. But tell me about, and tell, share with us, where can we find the book? Yeah. So you can find it anywhere in your favorite booksellers online or offline. You might have to ask for it in your local bookstore, but they can get it. If you want to buy it online, you can go to my website, which is themamasutra.net. And then in the upper menu, I think it says my book, and you can click to that, that page. It'll take you right to the book. And again, Mama Sutra, it's T-H-E-M-A-M-A-S-U-T-R-A dot net. And you can find me on social media everywhere as at the Mama Sutra, all one word. Excellent. If you guys didn't get a chance to write it down, it's going to be on our show notes. Thank you so much for coming in the show. It was a delight to have you back. Thank you so much. I hope you guys found the conversation useful. I know this is very tough to do, like talking about sex with your kids, but my recommendation for you is to start sharing and talking about these things as early as possible. Of course, you want to adjust the thing that you're saying and making it age appropriate. That's why I think checklists will help you to kind of gauge on what to say and what not to say. But it's also important to reflect on what are some of the values that you want to share with your children. Uh, Lene's book was really helpful with kind of helping me to examine some of my values and also think about how am I going to tackle these things as they come up? So if you are interested, definitely buy her book. But also she graciously offered a chapter to our listeners for free. So if you are interested to read a chapter, you can follow a URL below. All right. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.